Joining me in the studio now, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. Schlemmer and Metz from Left, Right, and Center, and this is Left, Right, and Center today. Good welcome, gentlemen. Nice to be both here. Hello. Thank you. Uh, I have a topic today that I'm quite anxious to discuss with both of you. It has to do with the calls in this country to rethink our role in Afghanistan in the wake of Canadians coming home in body bags. The idea of serving soldiers being killed in the field is uh, obviously not a new one. We've had uh, serving soldiers come back um, to homes in Canada from the French and Indian Wars, uh, from the uh, War of American Independence, uh, the War of 1812, from the American Civil War, uh, Spanish-American War. There were Canadians in that. Body bags didn't have body bags then, but you know, dead Canadians came home from that. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, um, and in few of those, Vietnam perhaps being the exception, uh, there was very little actually said. And if you study the historical record, some was said. It's, it's, it's wrong to think that nobody complained. But by and large, it was accepted as being part of the price of being at war. That if your country does go to war, some of your young men and occasionally young women are going to come home dead. This time now, we've had a spate lately, and there's a, a few dozens have, uh, have been killed or, or injured. And Jack Layton now is leading the fight, saying that we must, uh, we must, uh, we should be talking to the Taliban, not shooting at them. Um, we should be negotiating with the terrorists, uh, trying to find common ground. Uh, and Jack's political philosophy is one that you try to find, you know, you negotiate, you try to find a compromise wherever you can with people who disagree with you. Um, there are other people in this country, other voices in the country who say that this is an, this is an abject, abject insult to our fighting men and women, that while they are fighting in the field, they they deserve our support for them. We may disagree about tactics. We may disagree even ultimately about the purpose while they're, why they're there. But unless and until the entire country stands up and says, everybody come home, that we should attempt at least to provide a united front. And we should not be niggling and nitpicking, particularly along party lines, while people are over there actually dying. I want to ask the two of you today for your take on the need for a pu pub another, yet another, public debate on whether we should be in Afghanistan. We've had one. The uh, government agreed. The parliament agreed that we should be there. There are many people who say it, that's where it should stand unless something materially changes, and that material change is not, sad as it may be, a few dozen body bags. Other people are saying, well, no, no, we have to, you know, things change all the time, we have to reevaluate all the time, etc., etc., etc. Jeff, um, I don't. I don't want to phrase this as as though are you in favor or or against uh, supporting our troops. Although if this was in the United States in a talk show, that's probably how the question would be put. But how do you feel about revisiting an issue that Parliament really has spoken fairly clearly on and said yes, we believe there's a Canadian mission there and we should stay. Well, I guess um, the first thing is that. In fact, it strikes me, I read a column by Chantal Hubert today in the Star about this. Um, uh, Mr. Harper had his rushed uh, debate 
in the House that was supposed to forestall uh, his being weighed down politically with Afghanistan. And uh, as I recall, it was a pretty close vote when it went racing through. And it, what the vote was that we would stay there for at least another two years, whereas we were supposed to initially we'd only committed to February. And uh, she said, you know, he may end up being a bit too clever in the sense that uh, he's he's come out pretty strongly saying, you know, we got to be there no matter what. Uh, it doesn't matter how things are going. doesn't matter if anything's being accomplished. We're there. And in a way, he's maybe taken on the mantle of this war more than he needed to. Uh, and I guess from my perspective... Um, with something like this, it's not so much that people are dying over there. That's what soldiers sign up for. We have a volunteer army. But it's more that, uh, you know, this war has been going on for four years now, that theoretically four years ago the Taliban were routed and were just going to be mopped up. And we hear uh, more in the American news media maybe, but that uh, the Taliban seem to be resurgent. And this week they seem to be on the attack against uh, against NATO forces, which is pretty surprising four years after the fact. So I think it's it's not unreasonable for intelligent people to say, you know, we'd like to see how things are going there, and uh, are we accomplishing what we want? The thing that strikes me the most about what I hear from the from the military is that they say that the only way this war will be won is with humanitarian aid, and they say, you know, we have to rebuild, we have to win hearts and minds, we have to rebuild this shattered country, and so on, and that's going to win it. And that every time I, I hear a, a general talking, that's what I hear from them or a colonel, and uh, and yet nothing really seems to happen around that. You don't. Well, I think in, no, in, in fairness, though, in fairness, I think those generals and colonels also make the point that before they can get to that point, they have to stabilize the country. That no. means defeating the Taliban. No, no. They, uh, from what I'm hearing, they're saying that you need to be doing both at the same time. You can't defeat everybody first and then uh, and then call it a blank slate and get underway. You have to provide security, obviously, for people that are there. But what I'm hearing from the soldiers is there needs to be more money put into rebuilding, and we haven't seen that. I was also struck that uh, in the American news media, I was watched a show a week or two ago talking about Afghanistan, the Forgotten War, and how they made the point that in the United States, Afghanistan is kind of a footnote, that Iraq is where everything is at, and that the United States has kind of just left Afghanistan behind. You never hear about Osama bin Laden anymore. Uh, I can't remember the last time that uh, George Bush mentioned him, mm -hmm. uh, much less Stephen Harper. And I thought that's why we went into Afghanistan in the first place. The Taliban were never uh, out to get North Americans. Uh, it was that they shielded uh, al-Qaeda, and it was al-Qaeda we were after, but now we've invaded Afghanistan in the eyes of the Taliban, so they see themselves as defending their country. Um, and, but now we have this great mantle where anybody that we're, that we're in conflict with, we just call a terrorist, uh, uh, no matter where they're from and what but the let's not are. But let's not forget who's in Afghanistan, though. It is not the United States. It's it, NATO. It's the, these are the, this is the North Atlantic Treaty, Treaty Organization, absent mostly American presence. These are Europeans and Canadians who are there. Well, except that what I heard on the weekend they were talking about asking a, uh, a colonel over there whether we were achieving our objectives. And he said, well, you have to remember that I report to a British fellow, and the British fellow reports to the American commander in theater um, that we're under American control, that we can clothe it in NATO as much as we want. It was like I was struck that, uh, well, I was struck by two things. Well, they have the to work fire together. <laughs> well, I was struck by two things in the friendly fire death. Yesterday I looked for something in the American media about that, and I couldn't find any coverage of it. And yesterday when the CBC reported that uh, a Canadian soldier had been killed by an American A-10 warthog uh, plane, they called it a NATO plane rather than a American plane, uh, but at root, there's no question that the mission there is directed by the United States, and they put the majority of resources into it, so it's only appropriate. Uh, but, but again, is it is it uh, disloyal to say 
we should be looking at what's happening over there and keeping an eye on it. And I don't think anybody is seriously suggesting that, uh, you know, that uh, Al-Qaeda is a good bunch and that uh, Osama is a good fellow. But I think it always behooves us to be looking at, okay, it's been, you've had four years, let's have a little check in here. How are we making out? Uh, are, we, are we winning, losing uh, in the middle? Is there a plan for... Retreat? So what are you going to look at? You haven't got any evidence to examine and dead well, bodies well, that, do not count well, as evidence. The other problem is that I guess at this point I really have no idea how we would define success and that was what Ken Dryden was saying is at the very really? least... Really? At the very least we should say, okay... When Isn't that a no-brainer? Well, what is it that we... When they stop shooting them? at us, when they well, leave everybody alone, oh, so when they... Should we be in Afghanistan until the last guy stops shooting at us? As far as I know, given the history of Afghanistan, they will, that'll never happen. The British found that um, out. The Russians find it out. Alexander the Great found it out. I heard a military advisor just, just today or yesterday saying that if we... And this is a Canadian one, saying if we don't go to Afghanistan, Afghanistan's coming to us. And well, that's there's already no been demonstrated that. on Certainly 9-11. No, okay. there's nobody from Afghanistan well, involved in but, 9-11. That's where they were training. I mean, wherever well, that's you the issue. I mean, what you're saying then, Jeff, is that the theater is even larger than Afghanistan, but and are, I might agree with that. I but guess that the question is, are we going to, to subjugate of a country of 30 million people? Is that the, is that the mission? Is, is the mission to take over the government of a country of 30 million people? And if so, are 4,000 Canadian soldiers going to accomplish that? I, I don't know that that's realistic. I think it's probably not. Well, yeah, again, if that's what you think the mission is, you know, I don't buy the mission that we're over there to create democracy and all that kind of stuff. I think that uh, we're over there to create a stable situation, whatever it takes, and it's going to take military force. Uh, well, we've had we four years. So I guess that's as long as World War II for the United States. Uh, most of the conflicts in the Mideast are not between us and the Mideast, but amongst themselves. Right. I mean, between v various tribes within the Mideast. Right. People that we would all regard as one peoples, you know, if we look at them from our side mm -hmm. of the ocean. But that's not the way it is. Any more than Europe is all one uh, type of person just because the skin color is relatively all the same. It just doesn't work that way. I think, Jeff, I, guess, no, I, think I want to come back to your, to your f four years in, in uh, World War II, I think that's kind of a specious comment. If the Americans or the NATO allies had done to Afghanistan what they did to Europe, the war in Afghanistan would be over. Well, that's that's my issue, and that's what people have said from the start as to whether Iraq was a distraction that prevented success in Afghanistan. And is it realistic now to expect the United States to ramp up the war in Afghanistan to a point where they can um, you know, actually have a military victory that, that is uh, such that they can bring in a democratic government? Um, I don't think the United States, frankly, is that interested in Afghanistan anymore? Well, in the country itself, I don't think they ever were interested in the country. They're interested in the larger objective. But, you know, to speak to the bigger issue of, for example, trying to negotiate with the Taliban or the concepts of some of the things Jack Layton is saying, um, I don't think his philosophy is so much... Um, a philosophy of compromise. I'm reminded of the essay called The Roots of War, written by Ayn Rand in 1964. And in that six-page essay, everything you ever wanted to know about why wars exist is in those six pages. That's all it takes. And she comments in there that one thing she noticed, and I've noticed it ever since, and I've never seen an exception to the rule, is that peace protesters and people who say they want peace generally are opposed to two sides fighting if they're both well armed but they're never opposed to one side overwhelming another if the other side is not armed like countries what they do to their own citizens uh, the violence they perpetrate on themselves they can kill their own people by the millions but if they kill 20 of us my goodness that's just uh, you know it's it's equivalence beyond belief when you start talking about moral equivalence on their part so 
you know, I just don't see, I don't think peace is the objective here. I think uh, there's something else going on. I think it's more of a philosophic kinship. As I said, in, uh, you know, even right, uh, I remember on left, right, and center just after 9 11, all the protesters in New York City protesting going over there. Who, who was sponsoring them? Socialist International. They were carrying the signs. It's a, it's a worldwide movement, and that's why I think it, it warrants almost the, the tag World War, because World War is not uh, a thing that's means holocaust everywhere it just means that you have the same battles fought for the same reasons by the same interests in a broad theater a broad spectrum theater that's generally the best definition i've heard of a world war and that's why one and two both qualified you had you know mm-hmm. the same basic interests and the same uh, victims on the other side of the fence so I think that's what's happening here too. And if if you're looking for for national boundaries as being the way to define the war, that those days are gone, uh, along with the internet and with terrorism. Well, I just wish that there was an armed force somewhere in the world that was powerful enough to find Osama bin Laden and bring him to justice. I wish that there is was the case in the there world. There is an armed force powerful enough, and they've got him now, and they're protecting him. What you want is an armed force that's moral and good. And most of the go- armed forces. I wish there was a moral armed force in the world that was powerful enough to find Osama bin Laden and bring him to justice. All right, fair enough. Let's hold on that thought. We'll be right back with more on the news hour. Stay with us. And we're back. And uh, we've been chatting uh, during the break here about a variety of things uh, happening over there and when and why and how. Actually, we were talking about the friendly fire thing and, and uh, where the Canadian soldiers were killed or a Canadian soldier was killed. And I said that uh, people who are surprised by that and who expect that there should be some instant answer to what went wrong uh, really do not understand the military dynamic, even in modern electronic warfare, to be able to put a finger on this is exactly what happened and this is exactly when it happened. It's, it's not realistic. It's not going to happen. They'll, they'll figure it out sooner or later. But who called the strike in? Almost impossible to know initially. Um, even, again, with modern electronics, they're not infallible. And, not, and sure, they're supposed to have GPS, and it's all supposed to you know work off itself and so on. And, but uh, this type of thing happens, and, and uh, the Jack Laytons of the world absolutely freak when it happens. And so I'm sure to the families of the people who are injured, and, and rightly so. But uh, th- this is part of the cost of war, and we whether we like it or not, folks, we are at war. You know, well, there's no question that, uh, that there's a fog of war and that uh, you're, you're dealing with a huge amount of uncertainty. But what I don't get is that, say, there are 30 uh, A-10 Thunderbolts over there right now serving. Uh, there's 30 pilots. Uh, they know, at least if they read the newspapers, that uh, there was a Canadian soldier killed by an A-10. And it amazes me that uh, one of them wouldn't be able to say to his commander, you know, I think that might have been me. And uh, that when Condoleezza Rice calls Stephen Harper to apologize for it, they're able to at least shed some light on, you know, how it, you know who was at least. But he might, he might, that might well have happened. And they might still be investigating to find out whether that's true or not. I mean, it's one thing to say in the heat of battle, I, gee, gee, it might have been me. I'm not just sure. I'm not, you know, da, 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 da. that doesn't necessarily mean that 10 minutes later, Condoleezza is going to be able to phone Stephen Harper and, and say, not, here's I'm what happened. I'm not saying that there should be any consequence to this. It, 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 obviously, it's an accident. It's a horrible accident. But we do know that, uh, again, there's a squadron of them there. We know that the Canadians did not call in this close air support strike, so it wasn't that. And I may be misled by watching the military channel, as I do all the time, but I'm all constantly watching. A pacifist watching, like you watching the military I'm channel? I'm not a pacifist. Yeah. Hey, I, listen, I, I, my, my favorite hobby when I was a teenager was reading books about war. It still is. 
But uh, that said, again, what I'm constantly hearing is about high t- how high-tech they are, their communications. The Internet was started by the U.S. Army so they could communicate better, global positioning, everything else. Was and somehow, general but, nobody you know, can say what happened. Nobody know, has any you're idea. You're judging this technology on an absolute basis when you consider how many people were killed by friendly fire during the Korean conflict, Vietnam, the previous wars. Well, if it's true that our technology hasn't improved since then, you know, you're right. No question. And but so I am when we, when we're starting to understand to count that one it has. and two and three over a period of a year, we basically eliminated the problem. I mean, if we could get our traffic toll down to something like that, we'd be doing pretty good. Very good point. We'll pause one more time. We'll be back with more on the program right after this. We have a couple of minutes left here, guys. Uh, Do you think Jack's going to get any traction with this? I mean, I know some of the liberal candidates now are speaking up that we should should revisit this. My concern is not, and Jeff, I'm not opposed to what you said about, about evaluating what we're doing. My concern is that this... I see this turning into a political football, that there's the block view and there's the Tory view and the liberal view and the NDP view, and there isn't the soldier under fire view. That's what concerns me about this potential process. Well, and no question that the first thing is, you're right, I, I was struck this morning by how almost stereotypical it is because you need to have the lefty saying, come home. You need to have the right saying, uh, you know, to not stay till the end would uh, would dishonor the memory of, memory of people we've lost. And then there's a kind of mushy middle. Um, and, and I regret that. No, Having said that, from my perspective, I'm not suggesting they should come home for a minute. I'm just saying I want to know that the people over there are doing doing the best they can and that they're telling us the way things are. Yeah, That's all. But uh, as far as supporting the troops like no question that you got to support them and god bless them for being over there i'm so glad it's them and not me because i'm i'm too much of a coward well the surprise to me has been the uh, resistance of the taliban there have been a couple of stories lately of uh, of canadian units can major canadian forces um facing off with these guys and not having a uh, convincing victory yeah. and we expect given the training given the equipment giving all the things that our fellas have we expect that when they go nose to nose they're supposed to steamroller over these guys and it's not happening and I just want to know what's that all about. Yeah. Well, that should tell us something too, shouldn't it? There's some big money behind the enemy, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, you know, the idea that we should be going over there with humanitarian efforts and humanitarian aid is extraordinarily premature and perhaps even destructive in many ways. Because and yet, and yet, Bob, I have to say that I have uh, uh, been in conversation with a soldier over there mm-hmm. who said that that was her reason for being there and we've talked i've heard other people and seen other interviews and so on with people over there who say that on a personal level they're there for two reasons one to look after their buddies because that's the the essence of the military esprit de corps and the second is because of the the children and and the and the defenses absolutely and what i'm suggesting is that there are two (laughs) in all the mideast there's basically two countries in every country the the victims and the perpetrators Mm -hmm. and it's the governments and the and the rogue uh self-appointed governments that are causing all the problems for everyone but to me if you're gonna if you're gonna say you're gonna do a marshall plan and i think the marshall plan was brilliant and i think that uh, the reason that world war one led to world war two was because there wasn't a marshall plan between them and the marshall plan uh you know made made uh germany and and uh and japan into allies quickly 
Don't say you're going to do a Marshall Plan, though, over there if you're not going to do it. Well, I, I think that's where that. the dissonance is right now. But the, pred- the, the Marshall Plan was predicated on some things that do not exist here. It was predicated on rebuilding countries that had a history of a some kind of organized, non-despotic yes. government, even though right. they had slipped away. And countries that had been absolutely pulverized. Yes, they did have basic infrastructure. They still had a road system, but they didn't have anything else. There was no will to fight on the part of anybody. There were no partisan or insurgent groups anywhere. Nobody had caches of guns. They were all taken away from them. They traded for food. Uh, there, there was nothing left of those countries. On a, on a tabula rasa like that, the Marshall Plan will work. You can't do a Marshall Plan if you've got 6,000 guys with guns and bombs and rockets hidden in a cave somewhere just waiting for somebody to tick them off. But I don't get it that you had uh, all kinds of, uh, of fanatical Nazis who presumably had weapons all over the place after World War II and you didn't hear about an insurgency after that. And same with Japan, that you had all kinds of people in the army who had kept the war going long after the emperor wanted to end. Uh, and, and again, who had all the same reasons for wanting to fight. I agree with Bob. No, was it a different maybe. motivation? In, in yeah. Japan, it was the it was the emperor who, who, when he finally expressed his own views in his own words to his own people, that was the end of the war. Well, it was no yeah. question. That was the end of the war. And in the West, the, the 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 Germans had nothing left to fight with, and and the great fear was, of course, if we don't surrender to the Western allies, they'll step aside and we'll be forced to surrender to the Russians, and that's the end of civilized life as we know it. So they didn't have much choice in these conflicts today. The combatants see choices far beyond that, and as long as they see those other choices, to talk about the Marshall Plan is just pie in the sky. There is no comparison. It can't happen. Well, that's what I'm told is the plan. I was told by George Bush, I believe, that uh, they were going to rebuild Iraq and get their infrastructure all going and all that stuff. And we constantly see that the money allocated for those things hasn't been spent. And then people seem to get cynical and frustrated living there, and they be- they become very cynical about whether well, things are going to get Well, are you going to put better. money into a place that might be blown up the next week? I don't think you can have a successful insurgency without the support of a good chunk of the civilian populace at root. Well, they do. And, yeah. you know, and we, that's we, we tend to forget that, that all the somehow. problems are in small, small areas. Israel itself is such a small country yes. on a dot on the map when you think of the larger picture it almost seems negligible what's at play here is the bigger powers that are in play and i think we miss the whole point if we're thinking we're going to help with bombs or f- goods and things like that it's a war of ideas it's fundamentally and i you know people say this is wrong but i disagree i think it's about civilization versus non-civilization a uh, civilization is that society which bans physical force in in relationships that's what it's all about well why and that's what peace is all about for heaven's sake so how can a guy like jack layton uh want to even talk to a person who doesn't share that philosophy whose concept of dealing with other people is to use force regardless of their wishes their beliefs can't even believe what they want to believe but you must mean you eventually to stop using force nobody's suggesting that anybody over there is accomplishing anything without the use of force right now both sides are using force by definition. So there's not are one. We, well, but one final one question. side is justified and the one other side One final question isn't. in the last minute here. Are we missing the boat? Are the Western, uh, Western allies, are the Americans in Iraq missing the boat by trying to maintain that country? Or should they accept the de facto situation, which appears to be that there are three separate nations living within one set of borders and carve, carve it into three separate countries? Yeah, I think that's got to happen sooner or later. And I guess the other thing that I take some comfort from is that it appeared to be a very bad thing when, when they got out of Vietnam, you know, the domino theory and all that stuff. And yet now, uh, the United States, uh, well, the last Nikes I bought were made in Vietnam. Mm. You know, the things have worked out 
pretty well there. Gentlemen, the music is playing in the background. I know you can't hear it, but it signals to us and to our listeners that we're done for another day. Thank you both, uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, for being with us. Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, you folk. Thanks to you folks for listening today. We trust you will join us again tomorrow. Chris Sign will be in for his last visit, we believe. So we'll look forward to that. As I know you will at 11 o'clock in the morning. Keep those cards and letters coming. Jim Chabin at Rogers.com. We care what you think. And in the meantime, this is Jim. Alongside Junior the Wonder Pup saying, please take care of each other. Mind how you go. And God bless. Bye-bye. Have a great day. If you've enjoyed this presentation, visit www.justrightmedia.org for more programming that's not right-wing, it's just right.